Good morning, everybody. As always, when I get a chance to be up here, it's my pleasure and privilege to open up God's Word with you today. So if you do have your Bibles, I will invite you to open them up with me to the book of Mark. Mark, of course, as we continue our series, which we just launched last week, Jesus, Servant, Redeemer, Friend. I am so excited about this eight-month-long journey we're going to take together in this book as Mark leads us along. I hope you're excited too. I, I love our title, Jesus, Servant, Redeemer, Friend. It's good news. It shouts good news about who Jesus is as he's revealed in these pages. And it's especially good news for us. This title tells us something about who we are. We are those who need to be served, who need a redeemer, and who need a friend like Jesus. And the reason for that is we're very familiar with brokenness as broken people. And that's what I want to start off with this morning is talking about the reality of brokenness. Sometimes our bodies are the things that remind us especially that we're broken. I have a a pretty old text message still on my phone from June 15th, 2015 from one of my most dear friends. It reads, they're calling it incurable. They're calling it incurable. He was describing the cancer that would end up taking his life less than a month later on July 1st. 16 days shy of his 23rd birthday. This isn't right. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. This is brokenness. And his story isn't uncommon or unknown to us. We probably all have family members or loved ones, people we care about with similar experiences. Or maybe some of you are here today and you're personally walking down that road right now of living with what medical people call incurable, terminal, life-threatening disease. In any case, the presence of disease is a constant reminder for us of brokenness. Not only the brokenness and frailty of our bodies, but the brokenness of our world. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And perhaps most importantly of all, it reminds us of the brokenness of our ability to do anything about it. They're calling it incurable, he said. And for anyone in a situation like this or connected to a situation like this, it would be understandable if they took on a disposition of hopelessness to despair. But my friend, he didn't despair. Because he had hope. Hope. Not a blind hope of some magical unknown cure. At the time, there were only 20 to 30 known cases of his type of cancer. No, his hope was not in modern medicine. Modern medicine had told him it was incurable. His hope was in a person. A person. His full text message reads, they're calling it incurable. But he is better than any doctor. And man, if that doesn't give you chills, he is better than any doctor. 
My friends, there is always hope in the person of Jesus because Jesus is better. No matter what you are going through, no matter how hopeless it may seem or how helpless you may feel, there is always hope to be found in the person of Jesus. He has the authority and the power to, yes, cure the incurable. And more than that, we'll see in our text today that he has the heart to do just that. The good news of our passage is that Jesus enters a despairing, hopeless, and broken world as a compassionate servant, redeemer, and friend. We're going to see a few things together. We're going to see... Jesus calls some fishermen to follow him. Then we're going to see a day in the life of Jesus on earth. And let's just say as the the holy son of God, as he walks through a, a broken world, it will not be a dull day. We'll see him do amazing and wonderful things. But as we watch Jesus do so, we get a glimpse into his character and his heart. And spoiler alert, it's tender. It's tender. In a broken world, he hasn't come to show off his power and and gain a celebrity following like other religious leaders. He hasn't come to, to rule and reign yet. No, Jesus will tell us himself in this gospel that he has hasn't come to be served, but to serve. God has come to serve us. And indeed, to give his own life as a ransom for many. We're going to see that mindset of Jesus extremely evident in our text this morning through both his words and his actions. So yes, as we follow Jesus into a broken world, we're going to see that he not only has the astonishing authority and power to redeem and heal what no one else can But that such redemption, such mending of what is utterly broken is exactly what his heart desires and exactly why he came. And for sinners like you and me, living in an incurably broken world, in these incurably broken bodies that fall apart and with incurably broken hearts, this is tremendously good news for us. Jesus can cure the incurable because he is better than any doctor. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Sound good? I want to pray and invite God's help for our time together in his word. Then we'll read the text together. And we're going to do something different as we do read the text. We have a long section, verses 16 through 45. Uh, So we're not going to read the entire thing in one sitting. We're going to take it piecemeal, piece by piece. So we'll pray, then we'll read a short section, and we'll dive into it together. But first, let's pray. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do pause now before opening up your word together to thank you for it. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for not leaving us to, to guess at what the hope is, what hope there is living in this broken world. But you reveal to us what hope looks like in these pages. You show us Jesus. And that's our prayer this morning. God, would you do just that? Use this time to that end. Show us Jesus. 
Help us to see him for who he truly is. Not so just that we understand him, but that we understand your truth that you have for us this morning in such a way that it it changes us and molds us to be more like him. So that as we go and we do enter back into the real everyday, yes, broken world, that you help us to do so as heralds of hope, remembering the hope we have in him. So use this time, Lord, to show us Jesus, we pray. In his name, in the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, you got your Bibles? Mark chapter one. I mentioned that our, our text is verse 16 all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 45. But we're actually gonna go to last week's text to start off. We are going to the very end of last week's text. We're gonna look at verses 14 and 15. This is going to anchor us. We're going to use it as a little bit of a springboard to launch off of for really the rest of our chapter, but the rest of this gospel account, as this is going to show us what Jesus is all about. He's starting off his earthly ministry, but what is Jesus about? What does he come to do? We get an idea of it in verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now there's a lot we could unpack there, but essentially Jesus, he's saying the time is right now. The kingdom is at hand. The time is right now to let go of the things of this world whatever you're holding on to, and to get on board with me. He says, repent and believe. The call to repent and believe is a call to to turn from sin and embrace Jesus for who he is. To put your trust in him that, that he is who he proclaims himself to be, who he says he is. He's the promised savior. The one who's going to fix what is broken, make right what is so wrong. He is that promised one, the Messiah, the very son of God. And that by believing that, you may have life in his name, as the gospel writer John would say. So when we see later examples of Jesus preaching or proclaiming in this gospel, and we're going to see that. Mark will say, Jesus went over here and he taught. and Jesus went over here and he preached. But Mark, Mark doesn't always have long monologues. Or if you have a red letter Bible where the red letters represent Jesus' words, that's not spelled out for us all the time. But we don't need to guess at what Jesus was teaching or preaching about because Mark tells us right here. We can keep coming back to verse 15 again and again if we want to know what Jesus was teaching about. He was proclaiming the gospel, the good news of who he is. This was his consistent message Not just that the kingdom is at hand, but the king himself is right in front of you. And he's on the road, not only to preach the good news, but ultimately to purchase that good news by the shed blood of the king on the cross. This is the gospel. This was his consistent message. And it wasn't just the message of his sermons, but of his very life. So everything Jesus does in this book that we see him, every, every sick person he heals, every demon he casts out, every word he gives, it's an invitation to us who are witnessing this to repent and believe 
that he is who he claims to be. We're confronted again and again in these compelling moments as we watch Jesus, just as the people are in this chapter, with this question, who is this man named Jesus? And that is a question that every human heart must carefully consider as they encounter Jesus of Nazareth. There's clearly something different about him. Who is he? Is he a prophet? Is he just a really good preacher? Is he a phony? Is he just like the other religious leaders? He's just out to get some fame. Is he just another man? Or is he, could he be who he claims to be? The Christ, the very son of God. And Mark wastes no time telling us where he stands on the subject. As you remember last week, he comes right out. Chapter one, verse one. Here's the point of this book. It's so that you understand as readers who Jesus is. And that is good news. The good news of who Jesus is is that he's not an ordinary guy. He's the Christ. He is the son of God. And he, of course, will continue that message throughout this entire gospel. So our text is no different. This chapter is proclaiming that message of who Jesus is. And I hope you'll find your sermon notes helpful. On your sermon notes there, I've listed three different ways that we're going to see that message of Mark communicated, that Jesus isn't an ordinary man. He's the very son of God. And those three ways, those headlines you'll see there on your sermon notes, we're going to see in our text. Of Jesus, we're going to see a compelling call. It's going to call some fishermen to follow him. We're going to see astonishing authority, that he teaches as one who has authority, and he has authority to heal the sick and to cast out demons. He has astonishing authority that no man could have. And he has a heart to heal with compassion that no man could ever dream of welling up in his heart. All of which, again, show us clearly that this guy, Jesus, he's no ordinary man at all. No, he really is the son of God. So let's start with this compelling call. So Mark's already established verses 14, 15, that that Jesus was a preacher. And he was a preacher with a specific message. Words are hard sometimes. Specific message was the gospel. And the specific call of that message was to repent and believe. That's spelled out. But what we're about to learn is that he is no ordinary preacher or teacher. Let's pick it up in verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Okay, so here we have two different sets of fishermen just doing their fisherman thing. And then they encounter Jesus, and everything changes in an instant. One minute they were dedicated to fishing and the next they were dedicated to this person, Jesus. That is not normal. To leave everything you have behind and to follow someone you barely know. 
And if we've read passages like this before, we're familiar with the story, we can lose the shock factor that's present in this text. People don't do what these men did. I mean, when the Mormon missionaries come to your house, do you follow them enthusiastically to the next door and say, let's do this? No, you don't, right? Hopefully. (laughs) And there's a reason for that. And it's not only because you really like what you got going on. You, You like your life. You like the things in your life. You like your family. But it's also because you're not moved by these people who are mere people in front of you or the message that they bring. But that was not the case with Jesus and these fishermen. What if Jesus came to your door? And we see that play out for these fishermen here. They left everything and they followed him. But part of what makes this so shocking is who initiates all this? These fishermen don't come to Jesus. Jesus comes to them. And that alone for Mark's first century audience, that would have been surprising enough that they understood what was going on here. This is the beginning of a discipleship type relationship between a teacher and his pupils, a master and those under him. That kind of relationship wasn't uncommon in this world. But what was uncommon was how this went down. Because traditionally, the would-be disciple is the one who would approach the master and say, I'd like to learn under you. Would you be willing to disciple me? Not the other way around. Not like this. Jesus initiates. The master initiates. And more than that, he doesn't ask them to follow him. He commands them. Indeed, he compels them to do so as they obey immediately. He didn't say, would you, would you like to follow me? Would you consider maybe perhaps following me? No. He commands them, follow me. And they do. And to make such a command implies the authority to do so. Which, that's going to be a great emphasis for Mark, as we'll see in a minute. The authority of Jesus. He speaks as one who has authority in and of himself. He's more than just a teacher or a preacher. Who can command like this? That people obey instantaneously. Is he some kind of prophet? No, no. A prophet would not say what Jesus said. A prophet would say, follow God. But Jesus says something different. Jesus says, follow me. Because Jesus is more than a prophet. He is, in fact, he is God in human flesh. And these fishermen recognized that. This is God before us. And if that were not true, if Jesus was not just some other guy, we might expect these fishermen to to laugh him off or to slam the door in his face. But instead, we find them doing something much different than that. They immediately drop everything and they follow him. And again, this should shock us for to do so was no easy thing. It says Simon and Andrew dropped their nets and you're like, okay, cool. Keep moving on. No, wait a minute. No, they dropped their nets. Do you understand what that means? This is their livelihood. I don't know about you. Do do you like a steady income? There's security in that, is there not? These guys leave it behind to follow Jesus. James and John, it says they left their father, their very family. 
There was no, let me first take care of dad. No, let me, let me first cash in this last paycheck real quick. Let me first fill in the blank. No, no, no. These fishermen instantly and wholeheartedly obeyed the command of Jesus. And while their obedience is inspiring to us, Mark's point is less about their obedience and more about the authority that Jesus had to compel this kind of obedience. Who has authority to compel people to instantly and totally obey? Well, it's the same God who has the authority in the beginning to say, let there be light. And it was so. That same God says here to these fishermen, follow me. And it was so. When the creator commands, creation obeys. So it was in the beginning. So it was when a man named Jesus passed alongside the Sea of Galilee and called some fishermen to follow him. The compelling call of Jesus here is a display of authority that does not belong to any man. This is astonishing authority. And that kind of reaction, astonishment, amazement, wonder, jaws being dropped, these reactions would follow Jesus everywhere he went because indeed he was no ordinary man. And it wasn't just because of the miracles, which we'll get to in a minute, but people were left amazed just by his teaching too. Let's pick it up in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Okay, we'll stop here for a second. So here we have a great example of, of Mark, the storyteller, quickly tugging us along to the next scene. But did you notice the significant scene change here? Jesus moves from the seashore to the synagogue, from a place that is more out there in terms of society to a place that's, that's more right here in the thick of things in terms of society, culture, and, and people, lots of people. And what is Jesus here to do among the people? Well, he's here to teach. We've already been set up for this. If, if the synagogue doesn't give you any hint as a place where the scriptures were opened and read, you'll also remember verses 14 to 15. They've set the stages for this. Jesus has come to preach. He's come to preach and proclaim the gospel. So here we find him doing just that. He's teaching. But the content of his teaching isn't included here. And it's, it's not included on purpose. We don't see what he was teaching about because Mark isn't wanting us to focus on the teaching. He's wanting us to focus on the teacher. And we learn this about the teacher in verse 22. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Okay, let's not lose this here. The, the people were astonished. They were amazed at his mere teaching. Why? Because he taught them as one who had authority. So this is different than a really, really, really well done speech. It wasn't so much the quality or the style with which Jesus spoke as if he was this perfectly eloquent, just amazing public speaker. That's not the emphasis here. The emphasis is not on the quality with which Jesus spoke, but on the authority with which he spoke. 
Again, we, we don't see exactly what he said in the setting, but you can be sure that he didn't say like the scribes would have. Rabbi so-and-so says that the interpretation of X, Y, Z is dot, 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 you know. No, Jesus would have spoke like this. You have heard that it was said, but I say. Do you see the difference? The scribes cited their authority. It was external to them, whereas Jesus spoke as though he is the authority. And in the middle of the people's amazement over this, something happens. A challenger comes forward to face Jesus, and a confrontation ensues. Verse 23 And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. That should be surprising to us. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Okay, so as I said, this should surprise us. Mostly because of the setting. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, which in some ways you could compare to a church like ours. My point is this was a a sacred place. And in that sacred place, a demon-possessed man shows up to confront Jesus. Evil shows up to confront Jesus. And this demon is on the attack. This is a, a hostile encounter. Them's fighting words, as we call them. But even in this demon's power play, we see the feebleness of his power next to Jesus. He seems to recognize that that Jesus has the power to destroy him. And not merely him, but he says, us. Have you come to destroy us? Indicating that he knew the arrival of Jesus spelled the end of not just his power, but all demonic power. Did you hear that? The arrival of Jesus spells the end of all demonic power. And this demon knew that. And when he says, I know who you are, he's trying to gain some leverage over Jesus by using his correct name. But in doing this, ironically, he reveals how ridiculous his attempt is as he utters the true identity of Jesus, the Holy One of God. So as Jesus teaches with authority, that authority immediately gets challenged by the forces of evil, no less, in the form of this demon. And how does that go? What's going to happen? Verse 25. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once, His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So this big confrontation, and it turned out to be a no contest. If you were expecting an epic back and forth battle, you are left disappointed because all Jesus needed to do was speak. He didn't need to grab materials or pray. He merely spoke. He commanded the spirit to be silent. The same word he will use later to calm the storm. Be silent and come out of him. And the demon has no choice but to obey. This is indeed astonishing authority.
This is divine authority. And the people are left wondering, what is this? Who is this guy that he's able to not only command men to obey him, but even demons obey him too? And so it is no surprise to see that his fame, like wildfire, began to spread to the surrounding region. But this day for Jesus is just getting started. Verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. So having witnessed the authority of Jesus, this fisherman, Simon, we later know him as Peter. He thinks of his mother-in-law. Good for him. And it doesn't say this in the text explicitly, but I think it's pretty clear here that he believes Jesus can heal her. This wasn't like common cold sick. As, as modern readers of scripture with modern medicine at our disposal, we forget sometimes the severity of disease and sickness, especially in a context like this in the ancient world. To be clear, in this world, there was no cure for a fever. No cure. No way of slowing it down. But Jesus can cure the incurable. He took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her. And if the disciples weren't sure or not, if she was fully healed, if they saw what they just saw, she goes from laying on her deathbed to running around the house, serving them as if nothing was wrong in the first place. This is not normal. This guy, Jesus, is no ordinary man. And the news of this got out too, this healing. And Mark says that by that very same evening, everyone and their moms were showing up to get in on the healing. Verse 32, that evening at sundown, They brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, can you imagine for a minute what this must have been like for Jesus? This is turning out to be a pretty jam-packed day. Uh, Let's try to put ourselves in his shoes as best we can here for a minute. Let's just say that you are a highly skilled doctor and you've just had a really long 12-hour day serving patients, helping people out. But now you're at home and you're having dinner with your family and the doorbell rings and you open up the door and there's a line of sick people lined up because they heard you're giving out free services. How are you feeling right about now? Uh, Tired for one. The text says in verse 33, the whole city was gathered together at the door. The point being, there were a lot of people here. And they're here because they want something. They want a piece of Jesus. But what a look into the heart of Jesus we get in this simple verse in verse 34. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. You know, part of what makes Jesus better than any doctor is that Jesus has a heart to heal. He has a compassion that no man can ever have. I'm not saying doctors don't want their patients to be well, 
What we see here in this text about Jesus is a compassion that exceeds the amount any man could possibly muster up. I I love the way one commentator put it. There was a tidal wave of need. So much so that it would overwhelm any man. The amount of people that were at his door and they wanted a piece of him. There was a tidal wave of need. Then he says this, and Jesus had more than enough compassion and power to meet it, to meet the need. Indeed, we've already seen he has the power to do it. But does he have the want to? And clearly, he does. He has a heart to heal. And inherent to this account is not just that he had the want to, but that he had it before these people even showed up at the door. Because this is who he is. The text doesn't say that that people came and, and paid Jesus for his services. They didn't buy healing from him. They didn't earn it. They didn't need to. They merely showed up in their need. And Jesus healed them. Because that is who he is. And that is all Jesus asks of us. Not to clean ourselves up first. Not to try to earn our way to him. But merely to come. To come, needy as we are, for the healing that only he can provide and that which he wants to provide for us. This passage teaches Jesus has a heart to heal. But the healing for which Jesus ultimately came was more important than merely physical healing. Let's pick it up again in verse 35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is why I came out, Jesus says. This brings us back to verses 14 to 15 again to to anchor us in this greater mission of Jesus. He has come to preach the good news for sinners. And indeed on the cross, he's going to purchase that good news for sinners. So when he says here, this is why I came out, he's not referring to the fact that he came out from the town to a desolate place to pray. He's talking about his mission, why he came out from heaven to earth. It's to preach and purchase the forgiveness of sins, to seek and save the lost. This is also what makes Jesus better than any doctor is he knows best what we need the most. And the truth is that doesn't always involve physical healing or it doesn't always even involve rescue from the hard things in life. Did you get that? The healing and the rescue that Jesus offers, it doesn't mean that he's going to take away every hard thing that comes up. But it does mean if you put your trust in him, you can know that he will rescue you from what you need rescuing from the most. He will heal what you need healed the most, your broken heart. And one day, 
He's going to sit on his throne and say, Behold, I make all things new. He is going to fix what is wrong, to heal what is so broken in this world. No more pain, no more suffering. But most importantly of all, he knows that we need saving. Our souls need saving. Jesus had a greater mission. And that is precisely why he came with a heart to heal, because he knew what we needed most. And so that's why he goes to the next town. It's why he takes the next step, because he's walking to a specific destination. He's going to the cross. And if you're here this morning and you're being confronted with the person of Jesus and you haven't yet put your faith in him as your savior, you might say, well, yeah, I, I think I believe that he is who he says he is, that he is God and he did come to save me. But Ben, I'm not worthy. I'm too messed up. You don't know the things I've done. And if you think that way, I want to read this next account to put all your doubts about that away. Let's pick it up in verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to freely talk about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is a really beautiful glimpse into the person of Jesus. For Mark, this is slowing down a little bit. Mark's style as an author, he's so action happy and description deprived, but he slows down just a bit here to give us a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. Did you see it? A leper. A leper is about as marginalized as a person can get. They were deemed unclean degraded to stay out a certain distance away from people. They had to wear specific identifying, no doubt shaming clothing. And they had to call out unclean, unclean to warn people to stay away from them. You want to talk about feeling unwanted. You want to talk about feeling worthless. You want to talk about having no hope. This leper would know that in a way that's hard for us to even imagine. And yet he hears about this man named Jesus. And in desperation, he comes and kneels before him and says, if you will, if you will, you will make me clean. And he knew Jesus could do it, but he didn't know if he would do it. And we see Jesus respond. I will be clean. And before he did that, he stretched out his hand and touched who no one else would touch. Probably the first touch, human touch, physical touch, this man had felt in years. 
He was seen by Jesus, touched by Jesus, and healed by Jesus. Jesus has a heart to heal. And if you are wondering if he's unwilling to heal you, wonder no longer, friend. Come to Jesus today. And his response will be, I will be clean. This is Jesus. My friends, he's better than any doctor. He is. There's always hope in the person of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the person of Jesus. Thank you for a savior. We all can feel the sting of living in this broken world. And I don't know where everybody's at in this room this morning in terms of that, but I know we all have our struggles. Lord, would you help us to remember the hope of Jesus? Thank you that he went to the cross. On that cross bore our sin and our shame. Paid the full price. There's nothing left over to pay. So for those who might put their trust in him, they can know there's no longer any condemnation in Jesus. They need not fear judgment. But because he rose again from the dead, we can look forward to heaven. A place so very different than this world we know where things fall apart and nothing seems to be the way it's supposed to be. But a place where things are the way they're supposed to be. Thank you for the hope of heaven secured by Jesus. Lord, help us to remember this hope as we go from here. And if there's anybody here this morning who hasn't yet made that decision to follow Jesus, would you work in their heart right now, Lord, to draw them to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna transition now, first Sunday of the month, to a time of communion. This is a time for those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior to remember him and the cost he endured to purchase our salvation on the cross. So the way we do that here at Sunset Bible Church, we've got two cups put together kind of in one package. We got some right down here. We got some on the ends. If you're on the outer edges, if you would just come up forward against the outer walls, and if you're in these middle sections, if you come down the center aisle here, and for everyone, the return aisles, how you get back to your seat, are these middle aisles right here. So we're going to come. We're going to receive the elements and remember Jesus. I also want to remind us as we do that, that if there's someone next to you who's mobility challenged or needs support getting the elements, if you would help them if they need that. Let's go ahead and receive the elements now, and we'll remember Jesus together. Jesus knew on that long day that we just watched him take part in where he was going. He knew he was going to the cross. That's why he went to that next town. In Luke's gospel, it tells us that when the time came that was near for him to be taken up, when he knew it was time to go to the cross, it says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. In other words, he doubled down and stayed the course. 
And the night before, he was having a meal with his closest companions. It says this, as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And that same body of Jesus, just a couple hours later, was shaking in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane, no doubt, as he sweat drops of blood, laying out prostrate on the ground, suffering in the garden. And if that was suffering, just the anticipation of the cross, how much more was the suffering on the cross? Suffering. And he prayed there, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. But then he said this, yet not what I will, but what you will. The heart to heal of Jesus displayed to the bitter end, indeed, to this moment where he obeyed the Father, even to death, for the Father's glory and for our great benefit. This little cracker represents Jesus' body, broken for you and for me. Let's receive it together. And this cup, the juice, represents his shed blood, purchased the forgiveness of our sins. So that as we stand before a holy God, he no longer sees us as sinners, but as righteous. Because of that, heaven can be ours. Let's remember him together. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his shed blood on the cross, his broken body there, purchasing indeed the forgiveness of our sins. So that if we stand before you, we are no longer deemed sinners, but righteous. Thank you for salvation in the person of Jesus. Help us to be, as we go from here, your heralds of hope in a broken world. Thank you for Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen.